The Truth News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, We choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next. Because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. Facts over fiction. Facts over I think so. Boy, don't we need more of that attitude in Washington, D.C. Oh, my gosh. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Friday edition of TNN Live. We're almost halfway through July. It's the 14th. Oh, my gosh. Where has this month gone? Where has this year gone? Is it because we're so busy, we're consumed with all the details of things going on around us? Well, there are a lot of contributing factors, and we'll weigh in on a few of those today. But somebody is headed towards a birthday, and it's a milestone, 70, and that would be me. I'm just a couple of weeks away from ending my uh, decade of the 60s, turning 70. Oh, my gosh. I was thinking yesterday, and I mentioned something to Marianne in the last couple of days about turning 70. Oh, my gosh. She's already there. She's just a couple of months older than I am. But she's there, and you kind of wonder, especially when you're about to hit these milestone decade birthday times, you just begin to wonder, is life really going to change in just a a couple of days? What's going to be the big difference between 69 and 11 months and 70? (laughs) Well, I don't think just that one or two days makes a difference. It's what we allow to happen to us like letting the old man in don't let the old man in I won't live it some more can't leave it up to him he's knocking on my door and I knew all of my life that someday it would end Get up and go outside Don't let the old man in Many months I have lived My body's weathered and worn Ask yourself how would you be If you didn't know the day you were born Try to love on your wife And stay close to your friends Toast each sundown with wine Don't let the old man Mm-hmm. 
many moons I have lived My body's weathered and worn Ask yourself how would you be If you didn't know the day you were born When he rides up on his horse And you feel that cold bitter Look out your window and smile Don't let the old man in Look out your window and smile Don't let the old man in I guess maybe we can talk about the old man and we can talk to the old man, which that would be me, but we make a decision. Every birthday that we have, are we going to let having this birthday make us just turn old all of a sudden? No, I'm not going to. My goodness, I've got too many things left undone. And I'm working hard to do those things, many of those every day. And one of them is being with you every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. And I'm very thankful for you joining us. We have people all over the world that are listening in. That is mind-boggling. But nevertheless, it is what it is. And we have a responsibility for that. Responsibility to each and every one of you. And I know that. Anytime I offend you in any way, please know it is never purposeful. And you can always reach out to me. I don't mind if you call me out over something with which you disagree that you hear here or a story that you read at truthnewsnet.org. We all have our right to our own opinion about everything. Well, at least we do right now. Some of the things we're going to talk about over the next two hours will show you that there are people that are around us that we've trusted, agencies around us that we've trusted for generations in our government. And I can't say that about them. I think they want to take over and control us. And they want to end our abilities to make our own choices for our own lives. Now, don't go jumping off the bridge about transgenderism and sex change operations and that evil Ron DeSantis and the legislature down in Florida. They took those rights away from the only people that can weigh in on that in an educated forum. That would be the parents. Parents in Florida, they, they want to have the ability, we're told, by the far left, the trans industry, the LGBTQ plus group, many in that group, that because the DeSantis government down in Florida passed a law that says you can't butcher a child. We're not going to let you butcher a child, which is what, if you read the story that we posted last week, it was a depiction from an insider of the brutality, the butchery, that goes on in transgender surgery. There's a hospital in Portland, Oregon, that is the go-to hospital for that in the United States of America. And this insider went in. If you missed that story, go check it out last week. I'm not sure right this second what day it was published. But it'll blow your mind. And it will nauseate you to think that there are people out there, especially parents, that are okay with doing that to their kids. Fewer than 16% of the people that ever go through that quote-unquote sex change, which isn't 
a sex change. It may be removal of organs. It might be adding organs. But according to real science, there's only one thing that determines a person's biological sex, and that's that person's chromosomes. And you can't change chromosomes. Wow. Got off a real deep thing there at the very beginning of this. What do we have going on this morning? Something that I missed overnight. I was busy last night. I didn't pay a lot of attention to what was going on, but it really alarmed me in the wee hours of the morning when I woke up and I realized this is happening. Our president yesterday issued an executive order that authorizes the Pentagon to call up to active duty some reservists people in the military reserve branches for the effective conduct of U.S. military support to Ukraine. At the same time, the Pentagon designated the U.S. military support to Ukraine since 2014 under Operation Atlantic Resolve. They've called it a contingency operation. Here's what's in the EO the president issued yesterday. By the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, including Section 121 and 12304 of Title 10, United States Code, I hereby determine that it is necessary to augment the active armed forces of the United States for the effective conduct of Operation Atlantic Resolve in and around the United States European Command's area of responsibility. Now, what's Operation Atlantic Resolve? It began back in 2014. It was to bolster our military presence in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2014 and its annexation of Crimea. What's our strategic situation over there. Let me just be, I'm just being opaque for you. I'm asking my question and letting you listen. What is our business in Ukraine? What is our business in Crimea? What is our business, military business, anywhere else in Europe? Well, it's to keep Russia from doing what Russia wants to do. Do we have that authority? Who gave us that authority? Who gave us that authority? Who allowed the United States of America to be the big bully on the block? Now, don't get me wrong. I am anything but a dove when it comes to invasions of foreign countries and the like. I can't believe in massive attacks on human rights in any way by any government, but we as a nation, we don't have the permission to, nor do we have the infrastructure, nor the leadership to take on all of the evil on the planet at one time. We saw this happened in Iraq. Bush 43, because of Dick Cheney, who was vice president under Bush 43, and he definitely was and is, Cheney I'm talking about, 
a war hawk, no question about it. He wanted Saddam Hussein, period, as did Bush 41. They wanted him, and they would use anything and did that they could think of to justify invading Iraq. That didn't work out good for us, and it didn't work out for the good of the people in Iraq. Those kind of things happen because men's egos get beyond where they're supposed to be. And they build this perception about themselves and the power and authority that they have to justify doing those kind of things. When Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, it was a different story. That was an invasion. And the Kuwaiti people did not deserve that. We stepped in and we helped out and then we left. But then to trump up some lies about Weapons of mass destruction, we know they're there. They're all over Saddam Hussein's Iraq, and they weren't. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people died needlessly. And it was because we felt, we being the Bush 43 administration, felt like it was our God-given responsibility to go over there and take this really bad man out. Let me tell you in the aftermath, besides the obvious of what happened, the destruction of all kinds of infrastructure across Iraq. It's still not back to where it was before we went over there. That's just one little piece of it. How many people died? We held ourselves up as being the icon of Christianity for the world. And we went over there to take out the guy that was an avowed Muslim. tidbit of information, almost everybody in Iraq, in Iran, and any other country in the Middle East are Muslims. Is it our responsibility to convert everybody on the earth, not compel people to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Christianity, not to do what he said to do. He said if we lift him up, Jesus Christ, he'll draw all men to him. He didn't say go beat it out of them. Go line them up and shoot them, throw them in jail. Don't steal their infrastructure, their territories, their oil. Don't do any of that in the name of Jesus Christ. We didn't go over there and lift Jesus up as a Christian nation. We went over there and tried to beat everybody into submission. And it was because Bush 41 failed to get Saddam Hussein in the Kuwait war. And Bush 43, his son, vowed that he was going to go get Saddam for his dad. And he did. Christianity was doing really, really well in Iraq before that war. Did you know that? Saddam Hussein did not mess with Christians, did not do anything with the churches around that nation. Christianity was flourishing because people over there were lifting Jesus up and that was compelling people to come in to take a look at and convert to Christianity. But when we went in under the guise of we got to get those mass destruction weapons before he just blows, he'll send a missile at us the first chance he can. He never acted 
any of that out. Never even bragged about it. Never spoke about it. I don't know his heart, nor did anybody in our government know. But you know what's going on in Iraq regarding Christianity now? There's none. Those are hiding that are there now because militant Islam rushed in and replaced a huge contingent across the nation of Christians. They're back to destroying temples, obliterating every Christian they can find. Oh, by the way, we got Saddam Hussein killed. He's gone. Now, it doesn't matter if a president has the right to issue an executive order to call up troops, but I remember in the very beginning of this Ukraine invasion by Russia, there were people across this nation that said, oh my gosh, we don't need another war, don't go in there, and we were assured we're not going in there. Joe Biden, oh, this is not going to be a military operation. If we ever had to get in that operation, it would be on behalf of our NATO allies. Well, Ukraine's not a NATO ally. And we've already got, we're finding out now that we've had active military people in Ukraine almost from the beginning of this. Did they tell us that? Why didn't they tell us that? And now we just happen to find out because the boldness of this president, he doesn't give a rip about what's right, what's wrong. He doesn't care about what he said. He doesn't care about the authority that he does not have. Here's how Joe Biden rules with an iron fist, and that fist is getting harder and harder and more powerful. I'm Joe Biden. If I say it's so, it's so. If I want to do it, we're going to do it. And I want us to go to Ukraine. So I'm going to send some more people over there because I'm the president. I'm the commander-in-chief, and I can force it to happen. We were told by him in the beginning, if we went over there militarily, we couldn't go in and give them F-16 fighter jets. You remember that controversy? If we did that, Vladimir Putin would consider that to be an act of war and he would declare World War III, and he would start lobbing nukes at the United States. We can't do that, and now we're doing it. We've been doing it quietly behind the scenes all along. We're finding that out now. Biden said yesterday in the message that he authorized the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of Homeland Security with respect to the Coast Guard to order active duty any units or individuals not assigned to a unit. Let me just pontificate for a second upon our Secretary of Defense, General Lloyd Austin. You know what his job was previously? He was the head of CENTCOM, Central Command. Well, that sounds mighty big shot stuff. Yeah, he was over all of our military in Europe, in the Middle East, And in Northern Africa, guess when? Right after Iraq. Hmm. What happened then? Well, we were over there making sure that these little spur units didn't pop up and the militants in Syria weren't slaughtering innocent people. We got to protect our allies over there. Hillary Clinton was 
Secretary of State. Antony Blinken was over there in power in the Clinton administration. <laughs> so was Jake Sullivan, who's now our National Defense Coordinator. Lloyd Austin was the one when those four brave Americans were about to give their lives needlessly in Benghazi. And those Patriots, those SEAL team members were in the air, hoping, begging, wanting to go in and rescue them. Lloyd Austin wouldn't let them go. And those four Americans were slaughtered because of a lie that was built and perpetrated during the Obama administration. And the seed came from Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State. And guess who we gave all those arms to in Syria? You know, those freedom fighters. They were there to take out Basra Assad, that evil king. We just gave them money. We gave them arms. And when all the dust cleared, guess who they were? ISIS. The Obama-Biden administration, with Hillary Clinton tagging along, created ISIS. So why even bring all this crap up, Dan? Based upon what this president is doing, I can see, I can see from where I sit in our studio in Louisiana, I can see something like that happening again. What do you think? Vladimir Putin thought if we sent over any military assets whatsoever, in the beginning of this thing, and he said he would consider it an act of war by the United States and he would respond? What, do you think he went to sleep and just forgot about all that? You don't think he thinks the same thing that I think? This is a stupid thing to do. And obviously, anytime this administration does anything, I've always told you, when you're trying to figure out why, ask this one question. Follow the money. Now, where would there be any money in this thing at all? You know, this is just, uh, oh, they're just going to send in some Coast Guard folks there. Biden sent in this message. The number would not exceed 3,000 total at any one time. And no more than 450 members of the individual ready reserve. Pentagon officials said again, no troops would be deployed for combat in Ukraine. Army Lieutenant General D.A. Sims, the Joint Chief of Staff's J-3 Director of Operations. Here's what he said yesterday. Based on the level of presence and operations in the U.S., European Command Area of Operations, DOD's support requirements have grown as well. These authorities will enable the department to better support and sustain its enhanced presence and level of operations in the U.S. UCOM area. He also said the moves reaffirmed the unwavering support and commitment to the defense of NATO's eastern flank in wake of Russia's illegal and unprovoked war on Ukraine. So there you go. He's walking up to the line. May not you may not step over the line. That line between the border of Ukraine and Russia. That's the line I'm talking about. But if this is not stepping over the line, and I'm Vladimir Putin, I'm saying the bully, he may not be crossing the line, but he's walking right up to it. And if he blinks, I'm going to start lobbing nukes. 
Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Pat Ryder said declaring Operation Atlantic Resolve, a contingency operation unlocks capabilities and authorities that enables us to provide better support and sustain our forces. So this includes things like increased contracting responsiveness, personnel-related entitlements that give activated reservists the same benefits as active component personnel. Huh? What the heck does that mean? We have to send 3,000 people over there to work and service these other people that are over there? How many are over there? What the heck have they been over there doing? I've talked to people in the military that said on day one, even before this thing happened, when we saw it coming, we already had military people in Ukraine watching what was going on. And of course, here's the big thing, the most important thing of it all. Brigadier General Pat Ryder, he said this, this will also enhance the Pentagon's ability to track spending directly associated with the contingency. So it takes 3,000 people to go over there to keep up with the money. (laughs) Do I sound just a tad irritated about this? You can bet your bippy. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. This guy in the White House knows the only way he could possibly win re-election now, even if he could, somebody, some hawk in his administration threw a softball up. And even Joe Biden can see the softball and they're hoping he tries to knock it out of the park. And what would knocking it out of the park do? What would be a home run for Joe Biden? A war. A United States presence in an active war in time for the 2024 election. You heard it here. Does it mean that it's true and factual just because I said it? You know, all of you that are regulars, I'm from South Louisiana. If it quacks and waddles, it's always a duck. And Joe Biden... He may not be the sharpest shovel in the shed, but he's in the shed and he thinks he is the sharpest. You just watch. You do your thing and you do it well. Now it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store. Expand into new sales channels and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not gonna cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. (laughs) Movies, right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid.
Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Your home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60. Take on life in style. You know, every time I hear that commercial, I hear that band. Obviously, it's got to be a bunch of kids in that band. It hurts my ears. <laughs> That's because I'm a musician. I played in a band when I was in middle school. And... Uh, I couldn't stand people to hit notes that were off-key pitch. I, I, I don't think I could do that if it was in a band, make it sound that bad. But whoever whoever did that in the studio, uh, they knew exactly what they were talking about. Well, you know, yesterday in the aftermath of the hearing that happened between the House Judiciary Committee and uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray, a lot of comments a lot of people weighing in after the fact. A lot of people asking more questions that they wanted to hear answered. One of them at the very end of it was between Jim Jordan and Chris Ray, And it was about the Bank of America. You may have heard this. In fact, I think maybe Steve Baker talked about it in the aftermath of the January 6th debacle back from 2021. It came out. I don't think it was purposely put out in the news media, but it was leaked somehow that Bank of America had been pretty much ordered by the FBI to turn over their banking transactional records for any purchases or any people that were in the Washington, D.C. area. And they were buying food, staying in hotels on January 5th and January 6th. Now, the fact that that actually did happen, and it was confirmed that it did happen. Think about if your bank got a letter from the FBI demanding that they provide to the FBI any kind of transactional information about you. To be honest with you, it's illegal for them to do that, the FBI. Supposed to have warrants to be able to do it. They did not. Anyway, yesterday, Jim Jordan got after Chris Ray about this. I want you to listen to the FBI director squirm. Uh, director Ray, did the FBI ask financial institutions to turn over their customers? You yield the time to me. Did the FBI ask financial institutions to turn over their customers' debit and credit card purchase history in the Washington, D.C. area for January 5th and 6th, 2021? Uh, 
I don't know the answer to that as I sit here right now. Well, we do, because Bank of America gave us this email from the FBI to Bank of America. Well, I am aware that Bank of America provided information to the FBI, but what communications occurred between the FBI and Bank of America about it? Let's read it. To recap our morning call, are you, we are prepared to action the following threshold. Customers transacting debit card, credit card, Washington, D.C. purchases between 1521-1621. That's scary enough. But then the next bullet point's even more scary. Any, any historical, capital letters, all capitals, any historical purchase of a firearm. You guys asked financial, it's at least Bank of America. We think more. Did you guys ask him? Again, I don't have the full sequence of the back and forth. You've got one, looks like you've got one email that I haven't seen before here. Um, so I don't know that I have the full exchange that this Well, is does this email trouble of. you as much as it does members of the Judiciary Committee? That the FBI is asking for every single, I mean, we had members of Congress here that week, first time they're getting sworn in as a new member of Congress, their family in town, and you're sweeping, and they may happen to be a customer of Bank of America, and you're sweeping up every debit and credit card purchase of their family who were in town that week because their, their husband or their dad or their mom is getting sworn in as a new member of Congress. And then you're also saying, overlaying that information with, did, you, did this person buy a firearm? And the question is? I'm just nervous about that. Are you nervous about that? As, as I think I've testified before, my understanding is that our engagement with Bank of America uh, was fully lawful, but that we recalled the leads that were cut to field well, If offices. it's lawful, that's, that was my next point. If it's yeah. lawful, why did you say we're not going to use these leads? That's what Mr. Jensen testified to when we deposed him the director of the terrorism unit at, at, at the FBI, that's what he testified to. Why did, you, why did you not use the leads if it was lawful to get the information? Well, there are Chairman, plenty it's of, one minute and 18 seconds over time. There, there are, sir, there are plenty of times where there are things that we lawfully can do, but that we decide is better that we not do. And yeah. I think that's what the happened. The idea there. that Mr. Massey said earlier, the idea that this is lawful, that you can ask this is scary. This is something else we're going to have to change. Something else we're going to have to change. There's a whole lot of wrongdoing that's been exposed recently about the acts that people in our Department of Justice, including the FBI, have been taking against American citizens. And as we just said, many times doing so illegally. Now let me throw another little bomb out there for you to find out about. We just heard minutes ago the Biden administration has arbitrarily forgiven $39 billion in student loan debt to more than 800,000 borrowers. The U.S. Department of Education announced minutes before we went on the air, it will begin notifying more than 804,000 borrowers that they have a total of $39 billion in federal student loans that will be automatically discharged in the coming weeks. Now, what's this all about? Well, here's what the Biden folks say. Far too long, borrowers fell through the cracks of a broken system that failed to keep accurate track of their progress towards forgiveness. That's according to U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Cordona. Today, the Biden-Harris administration, Biden-Harris administration, never heard that until we get in a presidential campaign cycle. And the Vice President Harris 
is considered to be an outside chance (laughs) to be the Democrat nominee. Just thought I'd throw that in. Anyway, Cardona continued. Today, the Biden-Harris administration is taking another historic step to right these wrongs and announcing $39 billion in debt relief for another 804,000 borrowers. By fixing past administrative failures, we are ensuring everyone gets the forgiveness they deserve, just as we've done for public servants, students who were cheated by their colleges, and borrowers with permanent disabilities, including veterans, Cardona added. This administration will not stop fighting to level the playing field in higher education. Just to point something out for Mr. Cardona, the fixing past administrative failures, you know, he he mentioned it, for public servants, students who were cheated by their colleges, borrowers with permanent disabilities, including veterans. No administration did that. Congress did that. Oh, we don't have to use the Congress now. Why? I'm Joe Biden. And incidentally, do you you know why you and I are on the hook for the student loans? It was a ploy that was perpetrated by Joe's old voice, Barack Obama, his boss, decided that the federal government can best serve students who are making student loans around the nation. And they took over the U.S. government, which is you and I, they took over total responsibility for the management of all the loans that were out there, that banking institutions around the nation were not only servicing, they were lending money, servicing the debt, and these students were paying it off at extremely low rates. And of course, the Obama administration, they wanted to own and be in charge of everything. They wanted more power. And so they took it, they grabbed it. And now, Joe Biden this morning said, you and I are going to pick up the tab for $39 billion in debt for people that borrowed it and didn't have to borrow it. They made a choice to borrow it. This is just one of those days. (laughs) As usual, the Biden administration, they wait till Fridays to announce anything that's really controversial. And that one, my friends, will end up back at the Supreme Court. There will be a federal hearing that will happen early next week. And there will be a motion filed on behalf of the people of the United States asking a federal court to do a stay, issue a stay to stop this loan forgiveness while it's being adjudicated in the various levels of the court system. And it'll hang out there. Joe wants it hanging out there all the way through election time in 2024. So he will be able to say, I'm Uncle Joe, and I'm taking care of you. And look what I've been trying to do. But those evil, MAGA, mega conservatives, Republicans will not let it happen. They don't love you. They want you to suffer and struggle. We're the only ones that have empathy for what you're going through and what you've had to deal with. You watch. That's exactly what's going on here. The Hunter Biden debacle gets even stronger, wider, louder, and more evil. 
came out overnight that Hunter and his business associates attempted to get Burisma founder Mikolo Shlodesky a U.S. visa right after Hunter became a board member of the Ukrainian energy firm. And these bits came from emails. The emails in Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop archive show a coordinated attempt to get a visa for Slochevsky while he was being investigated by Ukrainian authorities for corruption. Hunter and some of his buddies were potentially engaging in registrable lobbying activity. Here we go. One email indicates that FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act violations, could have been occurring outside of the exchanges. An expert who reviewed the emails has said, from 2014 to 16, Hunter worked with former Burisma board member Devin Archer, Rosemont Seneca advisor Eric Schwerwin, former Boyce Schiller and Flexner LLP partner Heather King, and other business associates to assist Mikolo Sholevsky, Zloshevsky, with his visa reapplication process for the State Department revoked visa back in 2014. Zlochevsky is a former national involved in an alleged bribery scheme with President Biden and Hunter. Republican Georgia Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene confirmed that. Greene, alongside other House Oversight Committee members, viewed a redacted version of that FBI Form 1023, where an informant detailed how Zlochevsky spoke to him about making a $10 million bribe to the Bidens. Green said FBI Director Chris Wray redacted the foreign national's name, but within the same sentence, it says him slash Burisma. And if you're anybody who's familiar with this Burisma story and the info on the laptop, it's easy to make the connection of who it is. It's like a no-brainer. Hunter and his partners communicated with Zlochevsky's conduit, Burisma board member Vadim Porsharsky, about Zlochevsky's U.S. visa app beginning in May of 2014. And this stuff just keeps going on and on and on. And there's more. Remember, we were promised earlier in the week that the head of the Oversight Committee, James Comer, was going to release some hardcore evidence further proving there really was a bribery scheme that was perpetrated by Hunter and the president. Joining us now with more, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer is with us. Sir, how are you? I'm well. Well, I would imagine it falls under the, the purview of the House Government Reform and Oversight Committee to look into, okay, How did the cocaine get there? What about the two previous instances of drugs in the White House? And I ask you, uh, Congressman, what if it was anthrax? What if it was fentanyl? There have been police officers, law enforcement, that have just touched uh, bags and and contraband with fentanyl in it, ingested somehow some of that dust, and they need Narcan five minutes later. So how dangerous is that in a building where the president is? It's very dangerous. It's very disturbing. One of two things has happened here. Either, number one, the Secret Service is lying to us and they're covering for someone. Or, number two, they're incompetent. 
because this is supposed to be the most secure dwelling in America. And for the Secret Service to admit to the world that not only can they not figure out who dropped off a white powdery substance in one of three locations in the White House, that remember that story's changed three times where the cocaine was actually found, but also that uh, there had been two other instances where illegal drugs were found on the premise in the White House. This is unacceptable. Uh, we spend a lot of money, a lot of tax dollars to make sure that we have the best secret service uh, that money can buy, but yet they can't determine who brings illegal substances into the White House. I think that's, that's very disturbing. But, uh, Congressman, I'm equally as disturbed that they gave up after 10 days of investigating yep. and announced on day 11, we're done. Well, we didn't, we're not going to find the person responsible. That, to me, is the height of irresponsibility. Uh, I would like answers from the Secret Service why they gave up so quickly. That's a great question. You know, they spent 11 days to try to figure out who left an illegal substance in the White House, but they've been spending over five years investigating the Bidens for all their money laundering, all their racketeering, all their tax evasion. And according to uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss, they're still investigating uh, the, the president and his son for bribery and for potential wrongdoing. So it makes no sense. You know, the Secret Service hadn't really received a black eye like the Department of Justice or the FBI. But unfortunately, today, uh, this is another name on the list of agencies that have run amok. Uh, again, either they're not being truthful with the House Oversight Committee or they're incompetent by not being able to determine who left this substance. It's hard for me to believe that uh, our technology at the FBI couldn't identify some DNA on this bag of cocaine. Well, if they had not been politicized, I might have confidence in them telling us the truth. You uh, have made a lot of progress in your investigation into the Biden family and the foreign business dealings of the Biden family. You have a very important hearing next Wednesday. Uh, why is that hearing going to be different? I understand that we might be hearing a lot of new information. We've been sitting on some new bank records. Uh, obviously, it's very encouraging to read the transcript that the Ways and Committees uh, had with the transcribed interview with the two IRS whistleblowers because they actually knew a lot about many of these shell companies. And I think they were on the right track until they were told to stand down. So the American people are going to get to watch live both whistleblowers, including uh, whistleblower X, who's never revealed his identity. He will do that the day of our hearing and everyone can see, hopefully Fox will be covering that, Sean. And we have specific substantive questions about many of these wires, about many of these shell companies, about potential money laundering, about potential racketeering. And I believe that these two witnesses are going to be able to answer those questions. So many times, Sean, you have these congressional hearings and, uh, you know, they're all they're all hat, no cattle. You don't really learn anything new and they're not substantive. This should be a very substantive, informative uh, hearing for the American people. And this is going to be the first time the American people actually hear credible witnesses say under oath exactly what crimes have been committed by the Biden family. Do you have standing to go before the judge? They, they have this plea deal, no jail time for Hunter. Um, do you have standing to go to this judge and request that this deal not be not be agreed to by the judge because of new information and new evidence has, has been forthcoming? 
we have to go through the Department of Justice, unfortunately, for things like granting immunity. No. And, and th yeah, right. No. Long story short. All right. Let me ask you this. When when we got these WhatsApp messages, I'm sitting here with my father. We would like to understand why the why the committed um, uh, the commitment has not been fulfilled. Uh, tell the director we'd like to resolve it now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or a text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zang, or the chairman, I will make certain that the that between the man sitting next to me, his father, Joe, and every person he knows, and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I'm sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Okay, Joe Biden, he's implicated his father again. He's been implicated his, on many times. My question to you is simple. That's, that's, that to me sounds like a shakedown, uh, Mr. Chairman. That to me sounds like Joe Biden full involvement. And one week, less than a week after that exchange, didn't the Biden family get $5 million transferred to them from that energy company in China? Yes. So there you go. We further find out federal prosecutor Weiss, the guy from Delaware, that is the one that was supposed to have handled the Hunter Biden stuff from beginning to end, and then we find out later he tried to get permission to prosecute, prosecute Hunter for some of his crimes in California and was told, you can't do that. Same thing happened in D.C. He was told you couldn't do that. Weiss actually sent a letter, and in the letter, certainly he didn't mean to put this, but he basically said, I can't provide information and documents that you're looking for because there is an ongoing active investigation of bribery that includes President Biden and Hunter Biden. We'll hear this thing next Wednesday, but I, I don't know if you notice one little part of that back and forth. Sean asked James Comer, the head of the Oversight Committee, is there any way, do you have any standing to go before that judge on July 26th in which Hunter is supposed to formally enter his plea agreement that will basically get him a slap on the back and he'll not do jail time and he won't be held accountable for a major gun crime or any of this massive IRS fraud? Is there any way you can go in there and try to get the court to not accept the plea deal? You know, the judge doesn't have to do that. They can reject any plea deal. The plea deal doesn't include the judge. Typically, it's the prosecutor and the defending attorneys that work that out, and then they present it to the court. Well, this one's been presented to the court, but Hunter's got to go before the judge July 26th, formally request it, and the judge reply. You heard Comer say, we would have to go through the Department of Justice to try to get somebody to appeal to the judge to not approve the deal. Without coming right out and saying it, in my opinion, Comer says, Hunter's going to get off, at least for that. I know, I know, I know, I know, it's sad. We just got to deal with what we can deal with ourselves and hope for the best. We're learning a lot 
we're also learning, desperately learning how important it is to have not just a slim majority in the House of Representatives, but we need a bigger majority and we need a majority in the Senate. If we're going to get any of this, if we the people are going to get any of this crap done away with and the other stuff straightened out, we're going to have to do it at the ballot box. That's the only way I feel confident that we might can get something done. Well, CNN, those are the all-in tankers for everything to do with social engineering, sex changing, LGBTQ+, anti-Donald Trump, anti-mega-maga conservatives, anti-Republican. Everything is weaponized in CNN. But they got busted in a little bad on-air conversation. And it was about one of their loved ones, Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney, the trans woman that brought down single-handedly Bud Light. Listen to CNN and what they confessed to. Well, there's something funny related to the mainstream media. Here's CNN misgendering Dylan Mulvaney. We even talked to a bar in Chicago, one bar that was telling us basically they're, re- they're not going to serve it because they don't like the way Dylan Mulvaney was treated after this whole controversy started. He, of course, is the transgender uh, person they were going to uh, uh, sponsor and go along with with Bud Light. They didn't like how Bud Light didn't stand by him after all this. It, Ryan, it's, it's really interesting and great that you got the temperature um, from people you were talking to. It's one of the it's. The culture it's war. Something. It's the culture wars. It's a tough um, time. Yeah, it it's is. A tough time. Ran Young, it was a great story. Thank you. Okay, so there's a couple of things. First off, the guy calls Dylan Mulvaney him and he repeatedly throughout that, right? That's that's one thing that's funny about that. Did you catch though that the story is about how a bar is not serving Bud Light because they're pissed about Dylan Mulvaney? being sponsored by Bud Light. The bar's no longer serving Bud Light because they're pissed that Bud Light didn't back Dylan Mulvaney after all of this. So Bud Light is just getting hit by everybody, which is exactly what they deserve. But because this fella misgendered Dylan Mulvaney, him, he, repeatedly, yes, the next day, CNN had to issue an apology. We do want to make an important note. Yesterday in a segment about transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney, who was featured in Bud Light's recent campaign, she was mistakenly referred to by the wrong pronoun. And CNN aims to honor individuals' ways of identifying themselves, and we apologize for that. Well, she's a guy, so... CNN. Thank you, Cotter. CNN wants to honor people's pronouns. Unfortunately, they can't honor journalism. That would be preferred if you asked me, but, you know, I'm old school. (laughs) Facts don't matter if you're a lefty. (laughs) It's what you want it to be, what you want it to sound like. Doesn't matter. Facts don't matter anymore at all. It didn't matter for instance, when Dylan Mulvaney was doing that thing, was dancing around on stage trying to sell Bud Light, doing his best. (laughs) I didn't misgender, did I? He is a biological male. And the greatest conundrum I heard came from, and I don't remember which news outlet said this, but with all that dancing around Mulvaney was doing, he was promoting... (laughs) 
<laughs> Nike sports bra. <laughs> and the, the announcer that picked up on it said, and he has no boobs. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh... Can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, Ooh can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, uh, can I get a... Uh... 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 Go, Bubba, go! Uh... Hey, can I get a... Ten-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week, you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday, you took a selfie. Hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday, you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. What's the biggest number you can think of? A trillion, billion, zillion. That's pretty big. How about you? Ten. Okay. How about you? Infinity. Can you top that? Infinity and one. Actually, we are looking for infinity plus infinity. Sorry. What about infinity times infinity? It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds, roller derby? Nah, election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org. Hard to be calm in this uproar that's all around us all day, every day. I mean, think about it. We've already learned today that uh, Dylan Mulvaney was misgendered by CNN and CNN apologized. And no, we're not going to have any military presence in the Ukraine-Russia war because we don't want to incite World War III. And then we're sending 3,000 active duty. They're reservists, but we're calling them up to active duty. Oh, but they're not going to be military people. They're going over there to support the military people we already put over there, but we didn't tell you about. Do you know there's at least one Democrat on the national stage that has some credibility? Oh my gosh. Let me give you a second to pick yourself up off the floor because it's true. It's a fact. Who might that be? Democrat presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's got some legitimate thoughts that make sense regardless of all the uproar, the furor about all the culture stuff, and then the all the, in quotation marks, science stuff. Kennedy said this yesterday, climate change is being used to control us through fear. And he released a campaign video that clarifies his position on the environment. 
Here's what it says. Climate change is being used to control us through fear. Freedom and free markets are a much better way to stop pollution. Polluters make themselves rich by making the public pay for the damage they do. He tweeted that along with that video. You show me a polluter, he said. I'll show you a fat cat using political clout to escape the discipline of the free market. Oh my gosh. Video starts with a quote from Jordan Peterson discussing the climate apocalypse narrative. I've seen the climate apocalypse use fear to induce something approximating the same kind of level of tyranny, as far as I'm concerned, that characterized the vaccine lockdown. That's Jordan Peterson talking. So help me sort that out. In response, Kennedy said that the same people who orchestrated the pandemic lockdowns are the ones driving the fear-based narratives surrounding the climate. Now, Kennedy recognized that warming is occurring, but he disagrees with the establishment's way to handle the situation. He said, first of all, let me just say this about climate. I believe that carbon in the atmosphere and methane does increase warming. Look around. You can see it everywhere. Ice caps are melting, etc. The Greenland ice sheet. I spent a lot of time outdoors, and I see that. Over 69 years, I've seen the changes, and I've been them. I've seen them, the mass migration of animals, of southern animals like black vultures, the northern increase in their ranges. I've kept track since I was a kid about when the leaves turn and steadily moved up each year. He then talked about that the intelligence agencies, World Economic Forum, and Billionaire's Boy Club at Davos are using the environment as a pretext for clamping down totalitarian controls the same way that the COVID crisis was. And it's the same kind of cabal of people who are used, who will use every crisis to stratify society toward greater power for the super rich and greater power in the military, greater power for the intelligence apparatus, and less power for everybody else. A war on carbon is not going to solve the problem if we don't have a habitat left at the end. My approach to energy is using free markets and not top-down control. We can recover what we had, but we just have to stay out of fear because that is the weapon of tyrants. Oh my gosh. Can you believe we just heard the words of a Democrat that is from a long line of Democrats, the Kennedy family? Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and he trusts the private sector, the capitalism, to take care of climate change by holding those accountable that are polluters, that are creating and perpetrating climate change issues. Ooh. And who would one of those powerhouse junkies about climate change be? Well, Al Gore's off the stage. He stepped out because he made a billion bazillion dollars when he sold his television network, Al Jazeera. He got out of the climate environment business, and he's been replaced by John Kerry, one of my least favorite public people in America. 
Representative Scott Kerry yesterday, he confronted Kerry, who, by the way, has a position in the Biden White House. It wasn't a formal nomination, so his being in the quote-unquote State Department did not have to be, that position didn't have to be confirmed by Congress. Another shortcut by this Biden administration to circumvent the law and the Congress and just do whatever they want to do. Scott Perry got in John Kerry's grill yesterday about Kerry's wrongdoing regarding climate change. I thank the chairman. Thank you, secretary. In an attempt to get to net zero by 2050, do you support the administration's goal of cutting U.S. emissions in half by 2030? Uh, Yes, I do. Secretary, in 1997, the Senate voted 95 to zero, including you and then Senator Biden, in favor of the Byrd-Hagel resolution, which resolved that the U.S. shouldn't cut emissions until China, Mexico, India, Brazil, South Korea, and other so-called developing nations cut emissions as well. Do you remember that? I do very, very well because I was managing it on the floor of the Senate. Since uh, 97, have emissions from China, India, and Mexico all increased? Yes, as they have from the United States. And and global emissions have continued to increase as well, right? Yes. Have any of those countries submitted a credible plan to get to net zero emissions by 2050? Which countries? Let's just go with uh, China, India, or Mexico. No. It seems that, have you abandoned your position that those other nations would cut emissions before Americans would have to make choices between the groceries on their table and paying for, for these policies? I think the reality is that the world changed in that period of time. Let me, let me explain okay, so, to you. Okay, no, so you me, voted that way, but But you let me explain your- to you the vote, because I did manage this on the floor. And I know exactly what happened, because I'm the one who said to our colleagues, I think everybody ought to vote for this. And the reason was that it fundamentally had the message that it's not fair. The one we were talking about earlier with the chairman, it's not fair for us to be reducing and China, which was producing three times more emissions than us, and then producing goods that come into our country from that dirty power, and we have a problem. So we wanted to address that. But we knew not every aspect of that piece of legislation is what you, you all call, we all call, a message. It was a message vote. And the vote was clear. We wanted other people to join us in the effort to reduce emissions. Okay, fair enough. That hasn't happened sufficiently. It hasn't happened sufficiently. No. sufficiently. Now, Secretary, in 2015 at the Paris Climate Conference, you said that if all industrial nations go to zero emissions, it wouldn't be enough. And then at the White House's Climate Day in January of 21, you said almost 90% of the planet's emissions come from outside the U.S. We could go to zero tomorrow, and the problem isn't, isn't solved. And in April... 21, you told the Washington Post that even the U.S. and China going to zero emissions tomorrow won't solve the climate's problem. Then in April of 21, you said that global net zero is not enough and that CO2 must be removed from the atmosphere. How much is the correct amount of CO2? Let me explain to you, if I can, so you understand exactly what I said. It's close, but it's not quite exactly what I was saying. Can you what just I'm tell saying, me what let, the let me tell you what I'm saying. Is. I'm going to tell you what the correct. Here's how, how it works. Because we have put, I'd forget the exact number of tons, millions of tons of CO2 and other greenhouse gases are now in the atmosphere. They're there. And every day we're adding more. And so every day the heat is going up and we have to figure out how we're going to, you know, tame the, the monster here. 
The only way to do that is to reduce emissions on an ongoing basis to get control on the current level of emissions that we have created. But and what then, is then but, but what actually is the correct, suck? Sir, with all due respect, to, you've been through this before. Finish. What is the correct amount? I don't want to spend a bunch of time about a history lesson about things that people don't care about. What changes every what, day? I don't. The, I can't tell you exactly correct what amount it is. In the, yes, so, it does. So, Secretary, you probably know that for approximately 200 million years, what's the, what's the parts per million now? About 400, right? Can we it's agree on that? It's over 400. All right. It's about, about 200 million years, 2,000 parts per million. Did Mother Nature get it wrong for 200 million years? Here's the difference, Congressman. The difference is, yes, there were, ma there were periods which all scientists, all the scientists who deal with climate acknowledge that there have been moments on the planet, which is billions of years old, in which there were greater heat and there was greater tell me the difference dioxide. quickly i've got a little difference of is time. human beings are creating okay so this. that's the difference so human beings are we about are creating hundred thousand years old but but during these periods of time where it was two thousand parts per million life existed as a matter of fact not we're in not the, one people of the lowest not, periods. not human beings walking around we're in no. one of the lowest periods of carbon in the atmosphere in not only recorded history, in the history of life existing on the planet. In December of 2022, you told the Washington Post we need to remove 1.6 trillion tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere via direct air capture. The cost for that is about $1,000 per ton or $1.6 quadrillion. Now, I said, you said you didn't know, but since 2015, since the last El Nino, about 500 billion tons have been have been emitted into the atmosphere. During that same period of time, 2015, if you look at the temperature graph, this is from NOAA. The temperature has gone down. Show the next slide. This is from NASA satellite data. Temperature has gone down. You want to have, the, uh, have uh, the American taxpayers, my constituents that are having a hard time afford their groceries, pay for a car, buy a new home, spend $1.6 quadrillion to fix a problem that A, doesn't exist, and as a matter of fact, you might be exacerbating because it's unknown. It is unknown at this time the low level that of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that might actually destroy life because plant life <clears throat> all depends. As you know, Secretary, plant life all depends on CO2, and when we kill it, then we're done too. I yield the balance. Congressman, let me just say that uh, I don't agree with what you're saying out there for any number of reasons. I don't have time to go into all of them now, but I'll just tell you point blank that the difference between the periods you're looking at in terms of heat, et cetera, and human, human input is night and day, number one. Number two, why do you think 195 countries in the world, their prime ministers, their presidents- Because they're grifting they're, like you are, sir. This, uh, that's a pretty shocking statement, that you believe that all the scientists in the world are grifters, honestly. Not all scientists agree with you, Mr. Sutton. 98% of all the scientists in the world. Science isn't yeah. about agreement. It's not about consensus. You know that. John Kerry. He is nothing, nothing less than a grifter, and that's being kind. In the same hearing yesterday, he got into it with one member of Congress about jets. Jets are the obviously big-time perpetrators of massive amounts of CO2 going into our atmosphere. And these 
multi-billionaires, in which John Kerry, he's not one personally, but he married one, Teresa Hines Kerry. She's the sole heir of the Hines Ketchup, huge corporation. He was confronted about his own abuse and others like him by using private jets instead of flying commercial. Now, he was asked in this meeting yesterday, he serves at the behest of Joe Biden. He doesn't have a formal cabinet. So none of his quote-unquote budget for his office and his employees, none of it has to go through Congress. So they don't know what we are paying and who we are paying for John Kerry. And so the conversation came around to jet travel. And he is known. He is known. There are videos galore and pictures galore of him getting on and stepping off of private jets. And in that hearing, he was put to task to tell the truth if he flies in private jets, which he does. It's uncontroverted. Now, is that a bad thing? No, I fly occasionally in private jets. It's amazing, a great way to fly. If you can do it, it saves a lot of time and it takes away a lot of the uh, the problems of dealing with commercial flights today. And they're getting worse and worse every day, the commercial flights and all of the stuff that goes around with flying commercially. But he was asked, since you've been in this position, have you used a private jet to travel on behalf of the United States? And he thought about it for a second. And he said, maybe once, which is a ball face lie. He's been seen all over the world in private jets, different private jets. Now, why would that be? Here's what he doesn't want anybody to know. Teresa Hines Carey owns a jet leasing company with a multitude of private jets that they lease out. Now, was there anything wrong with that? Well, if you're an environmentalist nut, if you're a John Kerry and you've spent your entire career since you got your butt beat when you ran for president out there trying to grift people into believing what Al Gore spent his career after he lost his presidential campaign, grifting people around the world into stepping up and paying for all of the pollution that's put into the atmosphere by people like India, China, Mexico, and other nations, and wanting us to pay for all of their pollution. It's a grift. And you just heard John Kerry say 98% of the scientists that have anything to do with climate agree with him. That, too, is a bald-faced lie. For every legitimate scientist that says climate change is real and can be enacted and changed by the American people, For every one of those that will say that, there's one that disagrees. It is an unfounded lie. I don't have a problem with John Kerry flying around. I have a couple of problems with John Kerry. Number one, he has no business being on the people's payroll without it coming through the people's representatives. And some will say, well, Joe Biden was elected by the people, but he doesn't control the purse of the government. 
the people's representatives constitutionally are endowed with that unfettered right and the only ones that have permission to do it. That when Joe Biden, as president, when he was in the Senate, he had some say-so over it. Now he doesn't. He works at the behest financially of the United States Congress in the budgeting process. They purposely, they being Joe Biden and John Kerry, longtime Senate buddies, they wanted John to have power and authority, which is all he's ever wanted. He wants to be a big shot. He's been proven again and again to be a consummate liar about many, many, many things. He embellishes who he is throughout his career. You remember when he was running for president, one of the self-inflicted debacles he lived through was he lied about his service in Vietnam. He was there, but he lied about some of the stuff that happened, and he did it to embellish his persona to the potential voters out there when he was running for president. We all know people like John Kerry. They're full of themselves. They self-grandize every way they possibly can things about themselves. Honestly, in my opinion, the best thing he's ever done is talk Teresa Hines Kerry into marrying him. She believed his crap. <laughs> and he convinced her to do it, and she's written the checks to pay for all that crazy stuff that he's involved in. And he is still today trying to legitimize all of the climate sycophancy that he continues to perpetrate on the American people. To me, that that is sickening. It has sickened me, me that he would do that, and it's even worse that Joe Biden would sign off on hiding everything to do with John Kerry and what he's doing at you and my cost. He doesn't have the authority to do it, and there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, my gosh, we're just stuck. Well, there's another big thing that we all know happened back in 2020. That question will forever be in, that election will ever be in question. It's legitimacy. Every day, more and more comes out. We heard the screaming and hollering. There was no voter fraud. And then it was, well, there there always has been some voter fraud, but there wasn't enough to change the results of any election. I ask one question of the people that say that. How much vote cheating is okay with you? Would you be okay if you cast a vote and your vote was canceled because somebody else cheated and cast a vote opposite of the vote that you cast? Is that okay? Is it okay to break the law? Well, this administration, yeah, go for it. It happens every day. We're we're actually, we're promoting it. Down at our southern border, we don't care what the Constitution says about who makes the laws and who enforces the law. We don't care about the three co-equal branches of government where the executive branch is supposed to enforce the laws that are passed by the legislative branch. We don't care about that. We're just going to run it all. Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, they got busted for spending millions of dollars to directly impact the 2020 election results. It's uncontroverted. It's been proven over and over and over again. So much so that he has come out and has apologized for doing what they did. 
And he makes it very clear, we're not going to do it again. From 2020 to 2022 elections, states have utilized something known as Zuckerbucks. Originally, they were meant to help election officials administer elections. Now, some would say they really have been used for partisan get-out-of-the-vote purposes. Can you talk about some of the effects these Zuckerbucks had in the 2020 election? And do you know how it affected Georgia in any particular way? Sure, there was about, by the way, my last name, a typical name for somebody from Alabama. (laughs) There was around $450 million um, suddenly contributed uh, as tax-deductible donations to a small nonprofit in the past that had a budget of a million dollars. And then they suddenly started giving huge election grants to election offices. This has never occurred before in American history. And while they claim it was uh, bipartisan, actually the money overwhelmingly went only to large urban districts that were strongholds for uh, Democratic candidates. They, they would give very small amounts of money to other more rural counties but the one money overwhelming went there. This was a get-out-the-vote effort by moving the hard dollars, which have to be accounted for under federal uh, campaign finance laws. And I used to uh, enforce those laws as a member of the Federal Election Commission. Um, that Those hard dollars all, all have to be reported. But what the Zuckbucks did is use soft money, tax-deductible, that didn't have to be reported, it went to large uh, urban democratic strongholds, and the intention was to use it to get out the vote, basically moving campaigns, get out the vote camp uh, operations into these local election offices. So as a follow-up to that, many states have now banned right. taking Zuckerbucks. Am I correct? In, in, in yes, and, and they should because we, would, we shouldn't want any partisan pol- uh, polit- uh, political uh, Organizations, political contributors. We don't. We shouldn't want anybody. I don't care whether they're on the right side, the political aisle, the left side, contributing money to the government officials who are supposed to be administering the election. That that should not be happening. Now, in in, in our legislation, I believe we end this tax exemption that would be given to right. those organizations. Okay, um, Mrs. Nordin, Nordin. Uh in 2020, Georgia was inundated with mail-in ballots. Um, they were received before the election day and on the election day, in some cases several days after the election. And without thank you for your son's service to our country, by the way. That's, can you talk a little bit about your experience on the board receiving ballots after the election day had passed? And I, we only have a minute, so. Can you check your microphone? If you're asking if it occurred, yes, it did. Well, let me ask you this. So realistically, and again, we only have about a minute. Realistically speaking, when should the cutoff day be for a jurisdiction to receive a mail-in ballot? Election day. It should be election day. Do you think it uh, in any way, shape, or form decreases voters' confidence in our election process when election boards are receiving ballots weeks after the election? Well, um, unfortunately, they can't control the ballots that come in late. Yeah. So what's your question relating to late I just, ballots? I, just in general. I mean, do you think that voters will view that if, 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 if 
ballots are coming in weeks and weeks afterwards that uh, do, do you think that lessens voters' confidence in the election process? I think if a person believed that they voted an election and didn't, it yeah. would negatively impact the confidence okay. of all of us. Okay. So obviously that was a hearing that was being held in Georgia because Georgia was heavily impacted by the voter harvesting, the ballot harvesting that was identified, documented on a massive scale, if nowhere else in the movie 2000 Mules. That being said, that was following 2020 that all happened. It all came to light. We're still having the conversation with nothing being resolved and we are 16 months, just 16 months away from another presidential election. And we're still having conversations. But what I want to point out is the officials are tiptoeing around the terminology or the discussion publicly about voter fraud. You know where the safest election on the planet is? It's in Afghanistan. It happens every time there's an election. Why is it so safe? Well, everybody that goes to vote, they go to the place where they're supposed to vote. They vote only on paper ballots. The person that is running that voting office or operation watches them fill out the ballot. They hand the paper ballot to that person, and then the voter sticks his or her thumb into a well of permanent ink. Why do they do that? So that that person can only vote once in any election, and they know without any question it's one vote for each person and not mail-in ballots that are being handed to whoever, spread around by whoever, And who's even filling out those ballots? The way we do it in the U.S., if not the worst, is in the top three worst election processes on the planet. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless sleep blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle... 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 I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. You're driven all night. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. 
So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a Dare Ice Coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta Coffee Kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A Dare Iced Coffee Fix will fix it. You know, we've spent a lot of time today talking about all of the uproar, and there's plenty going on. Something that really shocked me, I don't keep up with the with the movie business. I go to see movies that I like, and I watch movies that come out post at uh, the movie theater. Uh, I'll watch movies streaming online. I like movies. I'm a movie fan. But the process of going to movies literally going to movies publicly, it's kind of like flying commercially to me. You got to do it. Sometimes you got to do it if you want to see a movie when you want to see it, just like when you want to fly somewhere so you put up with the other stuff. All that being said, there's some crazy, stupid stuff that's happening out in movie land. Union leaders are blaming the Biden-era inflation among their reasons for a historic Hollywood strike. The Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, its short SAG-AFTRA, authorized a strike yesterday with some of their union leaders blaming the Biden-era inflation as one of their main issues. Now, let me try to make sense of this for you. The strike goes into effect at midnight after the union's 160,000 members voted overwhelmingly to authorize shutting down the industry and join the WGA in their ongoing strike against the AMPTP. Now, don't get me going into who all the initials are for. They're union organizations. During a press conference yesterday, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who is National Executive Director of the Union and the Chief Negotiator, said that crippling inflation has put actors in a difficult financial position that studios haven't aided with. Crabtree Ireland said the studio streaming model has undercut performers' residual income and high inflation has further reduced our members' ability to make ends meet. To complicate matters further, actors now face an existential threat to their livelihoods with the rise of generative Artificial intelligence technology. That's according to the union head. We propose contract changes that address these issues, but the AMPTP has been uninterested in our proposals. Fran Drescher, the actress, is president of SAG-AFTRA, also said that the eyes of the world, and particularly the eyes of labor, are upon us. What happens here is important because what's happening to us is what's happening across all fields of labor by means of when employers make Wall Street and greed their priority and they forget about the essential contributors that make the machine run, Drescher said. I can't remember the last movie or television show friend Dresser was even in. This marks the first time since the 60s when the SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America joined each other in a strike, and the president of that union then was one Ronald Reagan. 
That's a long time ago. A strike is certainly not the outcome we hope for, as studios cannot operate without the performers that bring our TV shows and films to life. The union has regrettably chosen a path that will lead to financial hardship for countless thousands of people who depend on the industry. The AMPTP also accused SAG-AFTRA of walking away from negotiations after it offered historic pay, a residual pay hike. Rather than continuing to negotiate, SAG-AFTRA was put on a course that will deepen the financial hardship for thousands who depend on the industry for their livelihoods. Bob Iger, oh my gosh, he just got a re-up to remain at Walt Disney as their CEO, by the way, who's losing their butts. Bob Iger said the CNBC squawk, squawk box at the union demands were unrealistic. It's very disturbing to me, he said. We've talked about disruptive forces on this business and all the challenges we're facing, the recovery from COVID, which is ongoing, it's not completely back. This is the worst time in the world to add to that disruption, he said. I understand any labor organization's desire to work on behalf of its members to get the most compensation and be compensated fairly based on the value that they deliver. Reports also indicate that the AMPTP will not be negotiating with the WGA until the fall, hoping that it will make the writers desperate. All of this mess, all of this mess, this is exactly why I hate labor unions. And I mean that totally, I hate them. Labor unions back in the early 1900s played a valuable role in protecting the jobs, the health, and the livelihood of workers across America from all kinds and all sorts of industries. It protected everyday workers from the egregious big shots that owned and operated these businesses who looked at people as just chattel property with which they could abuse, do whatever they wanted with those people that were working for them. That time is long gone. Every person in these labor union segments that are griping the loudest, that are screaming the loudest, they're filthy rich. Now, does that mean they shouldn't be paid? Well, they should be, based upon their value to whoever is writing the checks. We live in a free market system. The capitalist system says you provide goods and services. You want to sell them? You want to market your goods and services? Go to the marketplace and find the best deal that you can find for what you bring to the table. Your talent, your abilities, your acting, your writing, whatever it is, take it to the market. Let me give you one example of just that. The latest, the latest big-time movie, Disney movie. I just went blank. I can't even think of the name of it. It's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the final one. $250 million budget. It's got all the whistles and bells, just like all of the Raiders movies have had. Great actors, great scenery, great plot, 
and they're very expensive to produce. So a $250 million budget, who puts that money up? Investors. Disney is a major corporation, and they're a monster corporation. When they do movie projects, they don't just write a check out of their bank account. Surely a big chump of it is. But they go get investors, and those investors are often big banks on Wall Street that represent individuals and groups. It's called investment. It's called free market. So when they went into this, you can book it that Disney felt like this was going to be a smash hit. It's bombing. Now, it's, it's going to make some money. Probably there are no guarantees. But the other big movie that's out now is really, by all measures, not a big movie. And that's The Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom had a $15 million budget. And as of yesterday afternoon, it was reported they've already drawn in $50 million from ticket money in just a little over a week. Looking at the dollars per screen, because Disney, obviously, anything they produce, it goes on every movie screen in the nation. Sound of Freedom, it's only on a limited number of screens. They are getting more screens now because of the demand of the public for what? The product. Sound of Freedom is about human child sex trafficking. And it's based on a true story. Americans are all in for that now. We understand more than we ever had that human and sex trafficking, especially among children, is rampant in this nation and around the world. And it's got to be brought under control. It's got to be stopped. It brings substance, and there's a high demand for that. That explains why this movie industry strike is absolutely stupid. It's the definition of insanity. The people that these union members and leaders say they are trying to protect are the very people that are going to pay for the strike. Do you think big Hollywood actors and the big producers and directors and writers, do you think this is going to be difficult for them? Well, in some cases it will be, but nothing like it's going to affect the people that work on the sets of these TV shows and these movies in production, the blue-collar people. Those are the ones that can't afford to miss some paychecks. But the people that can't afford it are the ones that are in control. There's not a happy ending for this strike, and I just wanted to bring that out to you. I was shocked when it happened, but it happened. And it's ongoing, and they say they're not going to do anything. They're not going to come to the table, even talk any further, until sometime this fall. And they say by that time, they hope they have squeezed the writers because they can't get paid for doing any of their work. They're trying to starve people they say they're trying to help into submission. They're supposed to represent those people, not try to kill them. Just when you think Congress can get no more stupid than they are. You find out they really are. And it's not so much members of Congress. 
It's not so much the Congress, it's some of the members. Congressional Democrats are attempting to add the Equal Rights Proposed Amendment called the ERA. They're actually trying to come up with a way to make it constitutional. It was a proposed amendment that came out 50 years ago and it never passed sufficiently to be adopted and being put on as a constitutional amendment. States failed to ratify it by introducing legislation starting that it has, stating that it has, in fact, been ratified. They're trying to sell it to Americans and to the government and to the courts that some states ratified it. Congress ratified it. Congress passed the ERA in 1972. A seven-year deadline was in the amendment. Seven-year deadline to ratify it. Only 35 states did so by 1982, falling short of the required three-quarters of states. Democrat New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and Democrat Missouri Rep. Cory Bush are introducing today a proposal which ignores the deadline, states that the ERA has already been ratified as the 28th Amendment, and urges the National Archives to certify and publish it immediately. Cori Bush, not quite at the level of being a brain surgeon, she's a representative from Missouri, she said, for us, it's already done. The ARA is the 28th Amendment. We just need the archivist to publish it. So the amendment's plain text states that women have equal rights to men throughout the U.S., but legal experts view the measure as a way to push through pro-abortion measures as well as policies erasing sex distinctions in public restrooms and other traditionally sex-segregated spaces. Lawrence Tribe, who is a well-known constitutional expert and a professor emeritus at Harvard, he told the outlet that the move would not be successful in ratifying the ERA, but instead will serve as a way for Democrats to put Republicans on defense on the abortion issue in order to hurt them politically. This is a political rather than a legal struggle, he said. It's not going to pass. The real question is what political message is being sent. In a political environment like this, you throw at the wall whatever you can. Gillibrand and Bush are framing the ERA in the context of overturning Roe v. Wade last year, with Bush arguing that it's packed with potential to protect access to abortion care nationwide, defeat bans on gender-affirming health care, shore up marriage equality, eliminate the gender wage gap, help end the epidemic of violence against women and girls, and so much more. It ain't going to happen. But you know what? They can make some noise. Elections just around the corner. They've got to get people amped up. They're taking a page from Joe Biden, using that as a way to make it happen. So as I know you know, cocaine that was found in the White House, it's no big deal. We don't have any way to find it. We don't know whose it is, yada, yada, yada. And they ended their investigation, they being the Secret Service yesterday. 
Well, somebody weighed in that has a little bit of knowledge about things like this that go on at the White House. Former White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany. Kaylee laid out yesterday who she thinks the cocaine found at the White House belongs to. And she seemingly is ruling out the obvious, in my opinion, which would be Hunter Biden. Secret Service finished its investigation, and they said they were unable to find a suspect. The bag of cocaine was reportedly discovered July the 2nd in the West Wing cubby near the Situation Room. Speculation is swirled as to who the bag belongs to. Some pointing fingers at Hunter, who had a long, long public battle with addiction, and he was at the White House the weekend that this cocaine was found. McEnany, you'll remember, served in the Trump administration. She said Secret Service likely would have had a hard time narrowing down the culprit because of the lack of cameras in the West Wing and the hundreds of people who likely filtered in and out of the area over several days. She then noted the ever-changing story provided by officials as to the exact location where the substance was found. First, they told us it's the library of the residence. Then there were some reporting it's the formal West Wing lobby. Nope, that was dismissed quickly. Then it's in the cubbies as you walk in the West executive interests. And then all of a sudden there was this NBC report, oh, it's closer to the situation room. That was highly alarming because that would suggest a staff member, she said. Now, as it turns out, I think that came about because reporters were looking at the map and the situation room looks close to the entrance, but it's not. The entrance is not. However, on a map, it does look that way. McEnany said this, but if I'm Corinne Jean-Pierre and there's all this wild reporting, I would have gone to Secret Service because, as Marie knows, half of your job as a spokesperson is to be an investigator, to go get the facts. I would have gone to Secret Service saying, there's wild speculation in the press. Tell me where you found this so I can take this to the White House podium. McEnany then opined on who could potentially be responsible for it. She said, the cubby holes, I would say two groups of people use these cubby holes. National Security Council staffers walking from Eisenhower office building, younger folks coming in. They don't have offices in the West Wing. They use the cubby holes because they're about to walk into a skiff or a guest of a staff member. You could call it a tourist, but it would be a close relative or friend, she speculated. Those are the two groups I would suggest it is. She said, as for the Hunter speculation, she found it odd John Perry and Biden did not forcefully come out and deny any accusation the substance belonged to the president's son. I would have gone to Trump and said, they're saying this is your family member. And he would have said, absolutely not. I would have gone to the podium and said, I have zero reason to believe this is anyone in the president's family. Why she didn't do that, I don't know. And it's probably because I'll answer for you probably why she did it or didn't do it was because she doesn't have that kind of background to be as inquisitive. She's only good when she opens up her notebook when she's asked a question 
and she finds an answer or a reply in the notebook. Otherwise, she's got a classic response. I have nothing to say about that at this time. I refer you to someone else. Truth doesn't matter. Information doesn't matter. Just say what you think you need to say to get out of any kind of controversy at the moment that it comes up. Got some bad news from the building world. Home prices have hit record highs as housing supply shortages are worsening. Home prices hit a record high again in May. And that's in the middle of a worsening supply shortage in the housing market. Nobody wants to go out and speculate and build now. Custom homes, pretty much all that's being built. The sharp jump in mortgage interest rates last year caused an overheated housing market to slow down. But the slump did not last long. The cost for a home, which has been rising since the start of this year, rose 0.7% nationwide as a seasonably adjusted rate. Housing prices rose 0.1% compared to May of 2022 and are expected to continue rising every month this year. This price surge reflects a worsening housing inventory shortage that has squeezed out would-be home buyers. Though the backward-looking annual growth rate dipped to 0.1%, May's exceptionally strong plus 0.7% month-to-month gain would equate to an annualized growth rate of almost 9%, suggesting the annual home price growth rate would remain at or near zero for only a short time before inflecting and trending sharply higher in the coming months. This is from Andy Walden, Black Knight's Vice President of Enterprise Research. The Fed's aggressive interest rate hike policy caused mortgage rates to rise over over 7% for the first time in two decades, leading to a slowdown in the overheated housing market. The same lever used to reduce demand, that is raising rates, has not only made housing unaffordable almost universally across major markets, it's also resulted in significant supply shortages by discouraging potential sellers unwilling to list in such an environment, further strengthening the pricing. At this point, even if rates come down, but not so sharply as to entice potential sellers out of their sub-3.5% mortgages, it could risk a widespread reheating of home prices across the U.S. Home prices, they started dropping last summer after the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage rate more than doubled in six months and continued to fall until January, then once again Demand rose amid very tight supply. Buyers are now being forced to adjust to higher rates after years of historically low mortgage rates. And if you're on a fixed income, I mean, it doesn't matter if you got a really good job. When you go to get a mortgage, what you qualify for in the way of the mortgage amount that you can get is based totally upon two things, your income and your expenses. And you only have so much income to go around. And so when you start looking at higher mortgage rates and sometimes mortgage payments, if you try to go buy a house and get a new mortgage on it right now, sometimes the monthly payments go up $1,000, $1,500 a month from where it would have been a year or two years ago. 
and people just can't afford it. That's not good news. And what also linked to that is not good news (laughs) is that there is no end in sight that we can see right now. Just going to keep on trucking. Let me just point something out. I've, I've listened to, and I do every Thursday and Friday, I listen to the latest economic numbers as they're, they're put out for us to process things like interest rates and jobs and unemployment and all those kinds of things. They all weigh in. And, of course, then the Fed, they're trying to tell us over and over and over again, they've got control of this. They're doing everything it takes to protect us. And then they do and make decisions, and we find out three weeks later, a month later, whoops, it hadn't worked. I look around the nation now, and they tell us, oh, inflation's just way, 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 way down. It's still up a little bit, but it's way, 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 way down. I just don't see that, and I don't feel it. And more and more Americans are having less money, disposable money, to buy the same amount of stuff that they bought a year and two years ago, it's just not going as far. I don't understand it. That can only come because the amount of money either gets shorter for people, which that's not happening. Wages aren't being cut. In fact, there's a small but a very regular increase in wages that's been happening the last few months. So what could it possibly be? What's driving these massive price increases? Well, it's the massive price increases. So what are the elements to go into the pricing of things? The cost of things to get them, to go buy them, to build them, to create them, to ship them. All of those things factor in. And if you're the creator of any of these goods, these products, or providing services... Your costs have been going up as well. Where I come from, in my world, that's called inflation. But we're being assured every day by the Biden administration, no, 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 inflation's, we've got our arms around it. Yeah, it's a little elevated, but it's coming down. You guys just keep on cranking, doing your best. We've got this. We've got this. You don't have to worry about it. And I want to end the show today by giving you a report that is very, very upsetting to me. The pandemic face mask effect. Yeah, there's a massive effect from all of the things that came to us and at us during COVID-19 lockdowns, the pandemic era. The face mask effect, dyslexia, and speech disorders among children rose 17% during COVID, with nearly 1 in 10 kids now suffering in some type of developmental disability. And this is coming from the CDC, all you leftists out there that say, oh, you're just making that up. The share of American children diagnosed with a developmental or learning disability has increased sharply since the COVID lockdown. CDC found that conditions like dyslexia, autism, cerebral palsy, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, are on the rise. 
From 2019 to 2021, the amount of kids aged 3 to 17 diagnosed with any developmental disability increased from 7.4% to 8.5%. That's almost a 20% increase. Boys are twice as likely to have one than girls are, with 1 in 10 being diagnosed. Boys also had higher rates of intellectual disability than girls, with 2.3% diagnosed compared to 1.4%. The findings build on previous research linking school closures, mask mandates, and online learning to major dips in academic performance and development. This is a scary thing. Now, I'm not telling you any of this for you to go out, jump out, and do something big time to change it. That's not what this is about, because we can't. This is to let you know we can't let this happen again. That's a wrap on the show today. Thank you for being here. You guys have a great weekend. Don't forget our Saturday bullet points. They go live at 1.45 tomorrow morning. Top stories of the week. You don't want to miss them. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday morning right back here. I wonder what's been on your mind. Baby, I don't know. Something strange is going on. Seems you've been so far away. Got to bring you back next to me.